to the Chapter 49 podcast. It's the afternoon of March 24th, 2022. My name is Larry Lannon. I am a volunteer for communications and a few other things here and there with Chapter 49. I'm a retiree, and we want to welcome you all to our weekly podcast. We are Recorded a little bit earlier last week. We're doing Thursday this week. We try to record most weeks on a Thursday or a Friday. And let me welcome back Duncan Giles, Chapter President for NTEU Chapter 49, where we represent most IRS employees in Indiana. Welcome back, Duncan. Thanks, Larry. It's always good to be here. And uh, I don't know. Um, We have a lot a lot to talk about. We've been talking about the return to office. We finally have some real information on that and maybe not every piece of information, but a lot of information on that. But before we get into that, we have a couple of other uh, pieces of unfinished business to discuss. The first thing I want to talk about is the only management official that's ever agreed to be on our podcast, Andy Reitmeyer. Uh, He headed up uh, the job of employee engagement. He's been there for seven years and uh, he is now moving on to uh, another job within the management realm. And I thought I might give you an opportunity to say uh, a word or two about him. Yeah, I just wanted to take the opportunity to, you know, thank him for the work that he's done for employees, BU and NBU. When you have a senior management or executive that really cares about employees and wants to try and better the organization. Uh, I think that they should be recognized. And Andy has always been uh, forthright in that goal. He's always been aiming towards that. Sometimes it doesn't make people happy, but overall, he's always had that um, you know the stress that he wants to try and make the organization a better place by making employees more engaged and trying to do what he can towards that goal. So it's a big loss for the Office of Engagement. It's a great game for criminal investigation for his new position, but uh, but it's a loss for us. And I just wanted to wish him well and thank him for the job that he's done. No, Duncan, I never met Andy Reitmeyer, but uh, did talk to him on the podcast some, some months ago. And you can, even in a setting like that, get a feel for someone. He seemed to be somebody very intent on doing his job well. So he will be missed there, and we wish him well in his new endeavors uh, working with the Criminal Investigation Division, which has a lot of work to do right now with sanctions and everything else. Where the, By the way, the, the CI Division did not get any money to help enforce these Russian sanctions, by the way. But they're still doing the job, so he'll have that to deal with. I want to talk about something else before we get into this return to office, which is a very big deal. But last week, uh, you had some rather pointed comments to make about what has happened with the facilities management support service area. I talked about my days in facilities, and I talked about, you know, the credibility of, of, of management and so forth. But, you know, I'm just a retired guy. Who cares what I think? They do care what you think, Duncan. And uh, you... Uh, created uh, quite a stir with your comments last week. Most of the responses that came in had to do with, are you, are you, are you playing music back there, by the way? No, that's the phone. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so you are playing music. The phone is taking care of it. <laughs> I just had to talk about that. From, okay, the, the, but what I'm trying to say here is that um, 
the, the management, a lot of people in management have come back and said, hey, facilities management wasn't really part of the evacuation order. What happened was perfectly within all the commitments management made. Uh, some didn't think it was fair for you to uh, claim that management hurt its credibility with the facilities management call back to the office. I just want to give you a chance to respond. How do you respond to that? And, and do you stand by your previous comments? Uh, I'll take the latter part first. Do I stand by my previous comments? You bet your ass I do. Um, you know, this is sort of like dance. How many angels can dance on the head of a pin? Were the facilities people under an official evacuation order? Probably not. But they were in the office maybe a couple of days, a pay period. And instead, they're being told without 30 days notice that they're going to have to be in the office four days a week instead of, you know, a couple of days of pay period. That's sort of like being a little bit pregnant. You either are or you aren't. This, they're either evacuated or they're not. They were, even if it wasn't a name, official, and now they're not. And they didn't get the 30 days notice. So do I understand where management's coming from? Well, I understand where they think they're coming from, but I do not agree with uh, the way that they handled it with them. And so I absolutely stand by that. And I stand by our folks and facilities who I feel should have gotten a 30 day notice before they were going to be told that they're going to have to come into the office almost every day. Okay. That's a story and he's sticking to it. Duncan Giles. <laughs> um, I want to get to what we really want to talk about, which I think is of interest to most people who may be watching or listening to this, this podcast. We've talked about return to office. We've been waiting for the date or in this case dates. So we now have an agreement. Most of the issues have, have reached agreement. There are a few loose ends we'll talk about, but return to office is coming in phases I know that there have been management communications about that. You've communicated with your stewards and chapter officials. The chapter presidents have had communications from our national union on our president, uh, nationally, Tony Rudin. So I would want to give you this opportunity to give us an overview of what the agreements have to say and what employees can be looking forward to in this return to office phased period. Yeah, like you said, it's it's actually... Um, for employ for bargaining unit employees, it's basically two phases. They're going three phases overall. The first one is where the managers and senior leadership are going to be coming in uh, in April. And then May the 8th, they're going to be bringing in people that uh, whose work is not portable, who have, um, you know, they feel the service feels that they have to be in to be able to do their jobs or they are um, under some sort of uh, penalty because of previous indiscretions. So they're not able to telework or the folks who are simply want to get the heck back to the office and don't want to telework. So those folks are going to be coming in in May. Then in June, we're doing the, you know, everybody's coming back to work. And, you know, we've gotten a lot of questions about this. Lord, have we gotten questions across the country about this. Um, the big thing is that, you know, you want to do a telework agreement as soon as possible, even if you're a field employee and have had one in the past. If you've not had a updated telework agreement in the last year as a field employee, I would absolutely do another one. If you've never had a telework agreement except for during the evacuation, 
and you are going to want to continue to telework, whether it be frequent, reoccurring, or ad hoc, I would absolutely advise you to go ahead and get that done. They may not process it yet, but that way, if you go ahead, get it done, you can say, hey, I've handed this in, it's been in. So when the days come to try and return to the office, you'll know that you've got that in and got that started at the very least. That just brings something up I wanted to bring up if I could. Tell me if I'm remembering this correctly. When you negotiated the national agreement, there were a number of job series that were added to the telework series. There are several job classifications that now can use telework that were not able to before the national agreement was put into effect, and it's been in effect for several months now. So I guess the the message I just heard you saying, I want to just emphasize it for everyone listening and watching, that if you are one of those new job classifications for telework, you've been working at home all this time for the last well, almost two years under the evacuation order. Once that is lifted, you need to make sure you have a telework agreement with your manager. Am I hearing that correct? Absolutely. Yeah, because we've gotten, you know, uh, CSRs that work in call sites, folks in TAS. These are people who, before the evacuation order, had never really been able to telework and are going to be able to do that now. And if they wish to, they can still work from home the vast majority of the time. So we want to make sure that they are able to avail themselves of that opportunity. And so that's why I would urge everyone to uh, either update or get in their telework agreement as soon as possible. And if your manager says, hey, look, we don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to process it. I'm sorry, managers. That's your problem. The employees are supposed to get it to you. What you do with it, you need to get direction from higher up. And what I would also say, if that's the case, if they're getting answers like that, uh, have your own copy of it, note on your copy the date that you handed it into your manager. So it's on your record as to when you put it in. It's like you said, it's up to the management to give their managers the right instructions. Having been a manager, it happens. Some of the frontline managers don't even know what to do with it because they haven't received the word yet. So would that be good advice? Absolutely. Yeah, that's one of those things that and I'm not blaming frontline managers if they're throwing up their hands and saying, we have no idea what to do with this. Because like you said, they haven't been given the proper guidance on what to do, how to process it, things of that nature. There are managers out there, you know, in accounts management, in TAS, in ACS, who've never processed those types of things, those telework agreements. So they don't know how to do it or when they should do it or anything like that. So they need guidance from up above that I would hope would come fairly quickly. And that brings up another question, Duncan, and I think this is going to start happening fairly quickly, and that's why I bring it up now, even though it may uh, come. And uh, as the phases move in, I think people need to think about this now. We know that under the contract, people are required to be in the office two days a pay period, essentially two days out of every two-week pay period. So, what happens when there are disputes between an employee and a manager as to how many days they're allowed to telework? Because the, t the two days per pay period is a minimum. You know, some managers may say, you need to be in the office four days a week. You may, I'll give you one day a week of telework. Maybe the employee says, well, that, that doesn't make any sense to me. I should be able to telework more. 
Uh, I'm sure you for, were able to foresee that kind of dispute when you did the national agreement. What's the method to try to work this out? Well, I, I don't think there'll be any confusion, Larry, because managers are going to let people telework as much as they want, whenever they want. I'm sure there won't be any disputes whatsoever. Excuse me, I'm... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's one of those things where folks are going to need to come to uh, their chapters, their steward representatives, uh, their chapter leaders, and let them know what's going on so we can address it. Because there will be, in certain instances... Uh, places that will say, okay, look, because of the uh, your particular job and the needs of your job, you're going to be having to come in a little bit more than twice a pay period. Or, you know, you'll have, like, say, others that will come in as just as you described. Instead of twice a pay period, we want you coming in eight times a pay period. So there's going to be those situations, absolutely. And we are prepared to discuss them, handle them informally, hopefully, formally if needed to try and straighten it out. It's going to be new for a lot of managers out there and a lot of employees. So we want to make sure that that's considered. The other thing to keep in mind when folks are going, okay, I'm going to telework is that in the future, or it could be currently, depending upon the size of your POD, you know, this could, this could end up being desk sharing. If you're looking at frequent telework, if you're a frequent teleworker, then they could ask you to give up your desk and you would have to be in a hotel situation where you would have to share a desk with up to uh, two other employees, so three people, or even possibly more. That situation hasn't occurred in Indiana and the vast majority of the country, it wouldn't happen because we've got more space than we, uh, in most places, than we do employees. But if we do keep continuing to hire like they want to hire, those kind of things will come up. So that's also a consideration as well. And for people who maybe are not uh, familiar with the vernacular, hoteling does not mean IRS is putting you up in a hotel. Well, <laughs> it means you're sharing a desk with somebody else who's teleworking. Is that pretty accurate? Or a couple of people who are teleworking. Well, it could be more yes. than could be more than one. Uh, yes. So, so uh, yeah. Right now we have enough space. We don't know how that's going to work out long term. So I guess what you're saying is you're, and, and we've talked about this on previous podcasts. There was a kind of culture not a kind of culture, a culture uh, with the IRS from the time I started in 1983 through most of my career where you had your desk. That was your desk. You kept things where you wanted them. You knew where to find things. You had it organized just your way. Well, if you're going to be in the office full-time, perhaps you'll get a, a desk like that. But if you're going to be teleworking to any great extent, I think that's the other side of the equation. You won't be able to have a desk at the office like that, will you? That is correct, depending upon how space goes currently and what they're looking at doing in the future. Because when they look at offices in the future, they're going to be looking at that hoteling, that shared desk space, when they do new acquisitions of posts of duty, when they move or get uh, lease renewals, things of that nature. So that's also something to keep in mind. But, you know, we have much less paper now than we did back in 1985. It's got to be reduced now by at least, I don't know, 2 to 3%. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're going to go paperless. We're going paperless. Uh, it won't happen in your lifetime or my lifetime, but we're going to go paperless. Um, yeah, it's, it's just one of those things that it's going to be, uh, it's an interesting situation. We do have a post of duty in Indiana where they do, uh, some hoteling now, 
and it it can be uh, it can be a dance to try and schedule everything you want to schedule, um, but it it's doable. So you just have to plan. It just takes a little bit more planning, and that's the trade off. If you want to work from home at a telework location, then you know you're not going to be possibly not entitled to your own desk. If you want your own desk, then you're not going to be working from home. I mean, there's there's trade offs. And that brings up something I just want to ask you about. I mean, you may not have any specific answers, and I'm just kind of asking for a general overview as, as you best see it. We'll talk about the state of Indiana particularly, but if people are listening and watching from outside Indiana, the same kind of concept would apply. Number one, do you think as a result of, of, of more people on telework, number one, will we see PODs close? Number two, uh, do you see a movement very quickly for the service for the PODs that are still open to reduce the space within them? I think those are both very good questions. Um, I think it varies wildly according to what state you're in. For the state of Indiana, I don't really see a uh, closure. I I do see that they're going to be taking a look at space. How How quickly this will occur is going to be interesting because you know we have to factor in what we're going to have in the future the facilities folks fmss has always been told okay you can only plan for what we have that's all you can plan for don't plan for any future hires well if we're going to be getting these deluge of employees we're going to have to have some place to put them so we don't want to move too fast and i uh give the facilities folks credit for this in the fact that they're looking at that and knowing that nationwide, and I can only you know uh, speak specifically to the folks that deal with Indiana, they're very aware of this and very mindful and want to make sure that it covers every contingency, that we're trying to be a good steward of the taxpayer's money, reduce space where we can, but also keep in mind that if we're going to be hiring you know, 20 more people, in a small post of duty that we're going to have space for those folks and not reduce it before and then hire those people. And isn't it not also true that new hires will have limited, if any, telework availability at first? Yeah, that's one of those things that in your first year, you're not supposed to be during your probationary period. You're not supposed to be able to telework. Now, management can waive that. Whether they will or not for folks because of this pandemic for probationary employees who've already been teleworking, that's a very good question and one we don't know yet. And it could be a case by case basis. So we're going to have to be taking a look at that. So let's, we've talked this all, this, all this that's happening is the fact that COVID has uh, died down as far as number of cases nationwide, uh, where most of us live in Indiana or anywhere else, actually most localities, localities, are seeing a lower number of cases. We hope it stays that way. There is this new variant we're worried about, but uh, time will tell on that. But here's the thing. People are going to be going back to the office. Some people will be vaccinated. Some will not. So do we have any idea how a testing program will be put together, particularly for those who are unvaccinated? No, we don't. Um, it's almost like uh, Wimpy from Popeye, I'll gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. They keep telling us there's going to be testing, and they keep telling us they're going to have information on it, but it keeps being next week and next week and next week and next week. We don't know. This has been pushed back several weeks. We're not sure 
how or what the testing is going to be. They do have out there, and this was in, um, this is one of the links that was sent to all employees, what they're calling a playbook. And it's a, it's got some fascinating information in there in the 27 plus pages. One of the things it talks about is there's still going to be uh, physical separation. The six feet is still going to be uh, done. Now, who's going to enforce that, especially in posts of duties where there's no manager on site? Or is it going to be if there's a manager for one division, are they going to be doing it for all the divisions in the post of duty? That remains to be seen. Is it going to be the uh, senior commissioner's rep office responsibility? I haven't seen anything on who's going to be doing that, but that's in their playbook that's being constantly refined. And if you and I both know, anytime the IRS continues to refine something, that scares the heck out of me. Well, let me think of something like toll-free as an example. Keeping people six feet apart means you're going to have I, I'm, tell me if I'm wrong, but in most of these call centers, you're going to have to have one empty cubicle between every two employees. Am I wrong? Uh, no, you're not wrong. So if that's I'm the, waiting, so if that's, I'm waiting I'm to sorry. see how that'll work. Didn't mean yeah. to interrupt you there, but if that's the case, then I think I can see some really serious disputes coming up because the, the management of these call centers may well say, okay, you can telework, but only on this day, that day, <clears throat> excuse me, because we have to, we basically have to rotate people so we have enough people to keep them uh, separated. I see that as a, as a real nightmare. It is going to be a, a big logistical exercise all across the IRS in multiple divisions to try and do that uh, in, in call sites, in service centers, in basically anywhere, even with the field folks. It's going to be uh, logistically tough. If you want to have everybody in for a meeting and a post of duty, and the vast majority of your employees in a group are in that particular post of duty. Okay. It's going to depend how many people, what percentage is doing, um, you know, teleworking on that particular day. So there, there could be some logistical nightmares. Absolutely. But again, I'm just going by what's in their playbook. They are still saying six foot distancing. They're not. And they're talking about uh, testing in there that they, are not sure how it's going to be done, but again, they do make a differentiation between vaccinated and unvaccinated employees. Well, I was just trying to imagine a conference room with a group meeting or any other kind of meeting, keeping people six feet apart. You couldn't do it, so you'd have to manage someone on on, on the at their homes or some other location. Maybe they're out in, in the field somewhere and just taking time off their audit or collection work, and then getting on their computer and getting on a meeting. I just this is going to be tough for the managers and the management to to juggle all this, don't you think? It's going to be very tough because depending upon how big a conference room space they have available. There are some posts of duties where this is going to be able to done, be able to be done with six feet distancing. There are others it's not going to be. And yet one of the key things has been, we want to, um, you know, we want to make sure that we get everybody together, the camaraderie and bring everybody back together. So there is that sense of togetherness, which I understand. So they're talking about bringing everybody together for a you know days we have meetings that's great hope you're able to space everybody out in a conference room and again i'm just going by what's in their playbook currently now could that be revised as hopefully covid dies down yeah but what if covid makes a resurgence 
So there's there's an awful lot of wheels that are having to mesh here uh, that could be quite interesting logistically. Well, if, if COVID has a resurgence, there's a lot that could be sadly involved with that. Now, as you mentioned, there are going to be several, uh, there'll be more than one phase of coming back to the office, but uh, it all should be over by June 25th. And one thing that will go by the wayside is one benefit people have had. Talk about that. Yeah, the caregiver's leave that is out there is uh, set to expire on June 30th or whenever the return to office is fully implemented, which would be that June 25th date. So as of the June 25th date, there won't be any more caregiver leave. Now, if you've got management officials saying, oh, it's going to be over in May when some people start to return to the office, that is not the case. We've seen nothing like that yet. Is it possible that that could change? It's possible, but I don't believe it will because it was very clear uh, in the messages from the Human Capital Office, HCO, that this is to expire June 30th or whenever there is a full recall. And that's just a few days before that June 30th date. So you've got you've got a little bit of time, a few months, before that's going to go away and you're going to have to make alternative plans. One thing that I want to ask about, because any time we have something this detailed and this important and this new, there are going to be some people in the management chain that are going to misinterpret the agreements that we have with the management on how this return to the office is going to be handled. If you are an employee and you get an instruction or a comment from a manager that you just don't think sounds right, what do you do as an employee? I'll perish the thought that that would ever happen. Um, it's one of those things that, you have to reach out to your uh, your local chapter, whether it's your steward, your chapter leadership, things of that nature, because that's one of those things that, you know, we can reach out, talk to the people that were directly involved. You know, I've um, I've been in contact with a couple of the members of the team that actually did the return to office. Uh, so I know specifically what the intent of certain things are. And let me tell you, the folks, the, the chapter presidents, the uh, four, I believe, four chapter presidents um, uh, and our national negotiator and our head of national negotiations who negotiated this did a very nice job in trying to make sure to hit every eventuality that they could. Things like until that June date, you don't have to worry about being within the 200 miles of the uh, of the office. That's that's going to be waived. You don't have to go back twice. You don't have to go in twice a pay period until that June date, that June 25th date. So we've given employees every opportunity to um, to ease their way into this. But like you said, there's always going to be people who misinterpret it. And we are there to try and make sure that gets correctly implemented. Okay, I have one last question for Duncan Giles, very important one. What's a good Indiana guy like you doing wearing a UCLA shirt? It was in the rotation. I got it uh, several years ago in uh, off of eBay because I just like the colors. So, you know, that's that's the extent. Am I a huge UCLA fan? No, I just like the colors. I've got a USC shirt, too. So I don't play favorites when it comes to L.A. college sports teams. So you like those colors as well at USC? Is that it? 
Yeah, USC. I've got an IU shirt, so I'm good there. If anybody wants to give me a Purdue shirt, happy to wear that. I was about to say, we're recording this uh, right before the uh, Purdue appearance in the Sweet 16, so you've got to make sure that you you know keep 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 yourself neutral on these and issues. Purdue, Notre Dame, Ball State. Anybody wants to give me a polo shirt that's in good condition, that looks nice, I'm all for it. Okay, Duncan, final comment. I just... You know, this is a time of confusion right now. People are a little bit nervous. They've been at home for a couple of years, busting their butts. There have been people that have worked from the office and doing a great job. But there have been a lot of people working from home, busting their butts. And it's it's a nervous time. We understand that. Don't let that overwhelm you. There are places out there that can help you. Um you know, through this, it's a social anxiety thing and it's absolutely understandable. Your mental health is as important as your physical health. So please take care of yourself, get the help that uh, you need to get through this and it will be fine. We're here to help you. Yeah. And if it was something encouraging that I saw just uh, the other day is that OPM has a, an annual exercise where they uh, basically go out to the insurance companies about what, excuse me, <clears throat> health insurance plans they expect to see for the next year. This will be 2023. And uh, one thing that OPM has made clear is that with COVID and all the issues that are attached to it, let's make sure we have enough mental health uh, coverage and and uh, information in there and ability to treat people and substance abuse because we've, we've seen all sorts of national statistics, and, you know, the IRS is part of the nation, that uh, we're seeing mental health issues and uh, substance abuse issues that have come out of this whole dealing with COVID thing. So let's. And also, you've also got the employee assistance program out there to help yep. you as well. Duncan Giles, thank you very much. Always uh, good to to talk to you uh, each week. And uh, this has been another week. And if all goes well, we will be back next week with another edition of the Chapter 49 podcast. I just want to remind everyone that uh, if there's somebody else that might like to watch or listen to this podcast, one thing you can do is just send an email to uh, Duncan Giles with the internal IRS system, Duncan D. Giles. Or if you're not uh, in that system, you can uh, send uh, an email through the regular email that's available at nteu49 at aol.com. And uh, Duncan Giles will be happy to put you on the listing where we put out the links each week once our uh, podcast is recorded and post-produced. So we thank you once again for joining us. And again, we'll be back next week if all goes well. In the meantime, please be safe and be kind. Be kind.